Hey, it is so good to be here with you, and you're right. I mean, no one here has heard me speak in English. Uh, every time they've come down, uh, it's been Portuguese or Spanish in one of the venues we've been at. Uh, so I just want to thank you as a church uh, for sending your pastoral staff. I mean, it is a sacrifice uh, financially of time and resources for you to send your best, your pastors, uh, down to Southern Cone, Southern Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. And I just want to take a few moments just to share a little bit about my story. Uh, I hope to be back here more uh, this year. We're back in the States for a few months. Uh, and I hope to engage you at a deeper level as you come to Brazil and kind of engage what God is doing there in the Southern Cone. So as he said, my name is Jonathan Matthews, and my story actually starts back in Northwest Ohio. Uh, both of my parents grew up on a family farm. And for about 100 years, my family farmed just a, a certain plot of soil. And uh, my dad, my mom, they did not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Neither one of them uh, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, the story behind my parents' lives, uh, just broken homes. Uh, both of them uh, grew up in homes where uh, both families were uh, victims of divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage, a uh, lot of conflict inside the family. But that all changed uh, after my dad was deployed to go to Vietnam, he served a tour of service, and while he was serving, somebody shared the gospel with him. Uh, in a country far away, halfway around the globe, uh, somebody introduced my dad uh, to the hope that he could have in Jesus Christ. Well, he came back to the States, and uh, he, he was already married before he went to, to Vietnam, but he shared the gospel with my mom, and she came to faith in Christ as well. And, you know, they just joined a small country church in a town called Paulding, Ohio. And my dad, over the winters, would work at a tire factory in a city called Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so in the, in the, in the winter season, they would have each year a missions conference uh, where they would bring in some missionaries, and those missionaries would share about what God was doing around the world. And on one of those days at the missions conference, a missionary stood up and shared about the need in South America. And in 1972, my parents, uh, they came forward in the service and they said, you know what, we feel God leading us to this. We don't know what it looks like. Uh, you know, we're just, we're farmers here in Northwest Ohio, uh, but what we want to follow the Lord and what he is leading us to do. And so that's kind of the path that God set out for my parents. And so in 1981, after my parents had gone, uh, studied, they were prepared for that, for ministry, 1981, I was three years old. Uh, we moved as a family uh, to Brazil, and we moved to a city called Sao Paulo. Now, Sao Paulo is a huge, huge city, uh, 33 million people uh, in one location, densely populated. And so as a kid, that's all I knew growing up. Uh, totally flip-flopped from my parents' experience. I uh, never grew up on the farm, never knew what it was like to farm, uh, but I do know what it's like to grow up in a big city. And so as a kid, we, we just saw God work in amazing ways. Uh, my parents were church planters, and you guys are part of a church plant story here, and that simply means sharing the gospel, discipling people, inviting them into your home, and we saw that happen in our home as kids. And my parents were part of several different church plants in the city of Sao Paulo, and all that changed in 1991. Uh, I was 12 years old. We were coming home from church on a Sunday night, and there was a car accident, and a truck uh, hit the car that my parents uh, my brothers and sisters were in, and my parents died in that car accident. Um, and so as a 12-year-old, we experienced just deep tragedy, um, unbelievable sorrow. 
Uh, our bodies were broken, our spirits were broken, uh, but me and my younger brothers and sisters, we survived that accident. Uh, we were split up in different hospitals in the city of Sao Paulo for about a month before the State Department was able to identify where we were at. They brought us into one central location, and then we were shipped back to the States, and our whole world flip-flopped. And it was just, uh, we came back around to where everything had started, living back on a family farm in Northwest Ohio. You know, and um, as a 12-year-old, how do you manage that? How do you, how do you process all of that? And really, we're going to look into that here even in this text of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, uh, because you know what? Tragedy happens. Uh, life is messy, and uh, all of us have our own unique stories as to how uh, God works through those things in our particular lives, in our stories. Uh, as, as a teenager, I, I fought with bitterness, resentfulness. Uh, I was just angry at God. Just, hey, you know, why did you allow this to happen? Uh, my parents were serving you. And this happens, and I, I'm guessing probably a lot of you have experienced something like that where you've turned to God and you've said, hey, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. And as a teenager, I was just fortunate to have uh, some older men in my life that uh, I was friends with their sons, and they saw me, and they invited me into their, their circle, and they really uh, discipled me and invested their lives in me. And, you know, as an 18, 19-year-old, I just felt burdened to uh, give my life to whatever God would have for me. And that actually led me back to Brazil as a 23-year-old. I was married, had a two-month-old son. We moved back to Brazil. And you know what? It was, uh, it was uh, unbelievable to see how God worked through us. Uh, over 20 years, we've been there 20 years now, uh, we've seen well over 20 churches planted. And now we lead what's called the Southern Cone Initiative uh, as, as was mentioned. In the Southern, Southern Cone Initiative, I mean, we have a vision of seeing over 500 churches planted uh, over the next 20 years. And you know what? It's, it's a God-sized vision. It's a God-sized dream. It won't happen just through us. It can only happen through the power of God uh, working in us and through us, especially through partnerships with churches like you. And so that's just a little bit about myself and just want to thank you so much for uh, inviting me into this relationship, into this partnership. Uh, because, hey, we're all pursuing the same thing. We're pursuing the glory of God among the nations. And that starts right here, Tom's River. It starts right here in New Jersey. It starts in the States. Uh, but it's not sequential. It doesn't have to start here first. It starts everywhere, all at the same time through people who are called to his mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. So hey, as we dig into scriptures today, I just want to challenge you uh, to think about that testimony, and we're gonna, I'm going to circle back around and talk a little bit more about that. But if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're in a series here talking about old school, old school. And today, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's the theme of the message today. And basically, it's based on Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read these verses, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, the verses are on the screen, and it says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we come together, we come together around your word. We don't, come, we don't come together around this church, a pastor, or a person in this room. We come together around your word and around you. We've worshipped you. We've adored you. And now we come and we come to hear from you. There's people in this room from so many different walks of life. There's people in this room that are living through circumstances right now. Wherever they may be, whoever they may be, I don't know them, but you know them. We believe your word is eternal, and we believe that your word is alive. And we ask that you speak through your word here this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So hey, we're going we're gonna to talk about turn your eyes upon Jesus, uh, really based around this text of a race. Kind of the narrative of this text is based in Hebrews chapter 12, and it's on the, the track of chapter 11, where basically the author, whether it was Barnabas or Paul, no one knows, is talking about the hall of fame of faith. And really he looks in these texts to the idea of a race, that every single one of us is on a race. So this morning, we're going to consider something really simple, the reality of the race, the roar of the crowd, and the reward of our effort. So first of all, just to look at the reality of the race. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, look at this phrase, the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. What is the race? You know, as a pastor, as a missionary over the years, I've heard many, many different people say something to this degree. You know, Jonathan, I'm just going through these problems in my career, but I understand it's the race that God has set me on, and I'm going to persevere in endurance, chasing after what God has set before me in this career path. Well, hey, I'm here to tell you, the race set before us isn't a career path. I've actually, over the years, uh, counseled many different couples going through marital difficulties and I've actually heard a husband say, sitting in a room, believe it or not, you know, Jonathan, I understand that this is the path that God has set before me. And in my marriage, I realized that I'm going to have obstacles as he was looking at his wife. And hey, by the way, I don't advise that. <laughs> hey, he thought the race was his marriage. What is, after all, the race that is set before us? You know, if you look at the language of this text, when it talks about the race, in the original language, it's, it's a definitive article that speaks to a very unique race given to each one of us. It's kind of like a, a track, a specific course, a cross-country race. 
that's uniquely crafted to who you are in time, in space, and in body, your personal, physical, your characteristics, how God has uniquely crafted you with the gifts and the opportunities in the context that you live in. You know, I think about the story that I just shared uh, with you about my life, thinking about the race that God set before my parents. You know, it started on a small farm, but it didn't end there. But that's not my race. My race was a little different, although attached and connected to my parents' race. And you know what? God's race for you may not look like serving in the Southern Cone or as a missionary in Brazil, but you have something very unique that you're called to. So in other words, how can we understand this race as it's described here? Well, first of all, the race isn't your life. It's not everyone's life. It's specifically the desired will of God for us in Christ. The desired will of God for us in Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that are the desired will of God that are shared, and they're a collective will of God for all of us. But once again, there are specific things that God has called each one of us to. You know, I've heard over the years that, what if I don't want that? I don't want that. This isn't what I signed up for. And, you know, there's a lot of things in life that we don't sign up for. We don't. You know, in my life, I didn't sign up for losing my parents as a 12-year-old. And many of you here have lost people to disease, accidents, and you have your own unique story. And you know what? You didn't sign up for that. But hey, that's part of what God has called you to in his will, a perfect will, in Christ. Now, how can we understand this and kind of wrap our minds around this a little better? These verses aren't up on the screen, but if you do have your Bibles, I would like you to open your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 11, okay? Romans chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 11, this is so, so important, this verse at the end of chapter 11. It says this in verse 36, Romans eleven thirty-six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Once again, from him, through him, and to him are all things. Let's just kind of step back and and think about what that means. First of all, you know what all things means? All things. That's what it means. All things. Well, in Romans... What the author of Romans, Paul, what he has done, starting in chapter 1, he talks about sin. And he talks about our condemnation under sin. But then he talks about faith in Christ. He talks about our justification. He talks about our sanctification. And then he ultimately talks about our glorification. Chapter after chapter, it's as if Paul is scaling a mountain. Well, this verse right here, he's at the apex. He's at the the peak of the mountain. Do you realize that this verse represents the structure of all reality? It's the structure of all reality. If you start understanding your life through the lenses of from God, 
through God, to God. Now apply it to this context in relation to the race that he has set before me and the race that he has set before you. God has given you this. He has called you to it. In other words, there's a, there's a stewardship involved as to how you run this race. There's an element of responsibility because ultimately the responsibility to be called into this race results in glory to him through him because it's from him. Hey, everything, everything in your life, if you are a person that has placed your faith in Christ, everything in your life is from him. Good, bad, ugly, everything. But ultimately, he takes that. And through him, he makes something beautiful of it. And ultimately, it's something that to him produces glory in time and eternity. So back to this text, the reality of the race, what is it? Well, it's the desired will of God for us in Christ, in time. That's our lives. You know, I'm I'm 44, I'll be 45 here in about a month, two months. You know, I've only got my life to live. You know, I'm, I'm glad for what God did in my parents' life. You know, I'm praying for what God will do in my kids' lives. But I've got my life, and you've got your life. And so the race is in time, it's in space, in other words, the context in which God has placed me, and it's in body, in other words, my makeup. You know, I'm not, I'm not Graham, I'm not Jason, Jason's not me, Graham's not me. I'm me, and I'm made up uniquely, gifted by God in certain ways. And I have to understand the ways in which I'm not gifted, but I have to understand where God has placed me. You know, I talk to a lot of people that say, you know, well, if I had those opportunities or if I had that set of skills or gifts, well, you have the gifts that God has given you and you're placed in the place he's placed you in the lifetime he has given you. That's your race. And that is my race. What if you just don't want it? Embrace it. It's part of becoming a Christian. It's part of understanding the maturation process that God has begun in you. So we've looked at the reality of the race. Now, let's look at the roar of the crowd. What do I mean by this, the roar of the crowd? Well, verse 1 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, whenever you see in the Bible a word, therefore, you want to look before, okay? So chapter 11 Uh, There's probably 22 to 25, depending how you look at it, stories. And and it's stories from everybody from uh, Abel to Abraham uh, to Moses uh, to people in the New Testament who were uh, slaughtered for the cause of Christ. Okay, So there's a whole bunch of stories in there. And the idea here is he's saying, hey, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Now, these people are as if it were in an arena. So imagine this race taking place in in an arena in which you have a lot of people there cheering for you, not against you. And, And as the runner, you're not racing against somebody else. It's not a competition. It is a competition against yourself, but not against other people. 
And interestingly here, this idea of witness is a testimony in encouragement. You know, we have scripture to encourage us, to edify us. You know, one of the things that um, keeps people bogged down, kind of in the weight of their sins, is their distance from God's word. You know, God's word, it's powerful, it's living. We understand that God has given it to us so that we can look back at the stories of what he's done in the lives of other people. He's given us a collective body, the church, to also serve as a cloud of witnesses. You know, coming together on Sunday and coming together throughout the week as a collective church is more than just singing and hearing the word of God. It involves us actually saying, you know what? God has done this in my life. He's doing this in my life. I still need you, but you need me. And you encourage the other person to keep on running, to keep moving forward through the difficulties and the obstacles that they face every single day. The key idea here behind the cloud of witnesses is encouragement. There is power in encouragement. So we've looked at the reality of the race. We've looked at here the roar of the crowd. But I just want to spend a significant amount of time in the rest of our time here today, the reward of our effort. The reward of our effort. You know, when we think about the reward of our effort, just that idea, effort, that, that stings people when we talk about effort. Because we often think of the Christian life as, well, hey, isn't it of faith by faith in grace through grace? I thought it was free. I thought there were no works involved. What's important here for us to stop and for us to distinguish and kind of discern that works is one thing. Effort is something else. You know, grace tells us about the absence and the total rejection of works for salvation. We're not living, we're not abiding in Christ in our own merit, but we're resting in his merit. What he did, who he is, we're resting in that. You know why? Because we're insufficient in and of ourselves. We couldn't do it, we can't do it, and we will never be able to do it. But we are called out by Christ in specific ways to shoulder the burden of life in an effort that pleases Him. Now, we're not working to please God in Him. God is pleased in us through Christ. But we do have a responsibility, and this verse speaks to some of these responsibilities. It says here in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, listen up, let us lay aside. Hey, what is the effort in the race? Laying aside. We've got to lay a few things aside. Now, um, I can't see you because the lights are pretty bright up here, but if I were to have a raise of hands, how many of you are runners? Raise your hand anyways, even if I can't see you. Okay, all right. One person, two people, you know, so not many of your runners, okay? Um, not many of your runners. I used to run, okay? But I'm just not built for running, okay? I, I'm just not built for running, right? In fact, I hate 
running. But you know what? It's interesting that those who do run, what do you do? Well, you got to have the right clothing. You got to have the right shoes. And the lighter, the better. Okay? Interestingly, though, I recently read, and I saw this. I don't know if you saw this on TV, but there's a guy named David Elliott. And he's in Vancouver. Recently, I think it was a few months ago, he set a record for a half marathon. And the record was this. Not time, but the number of shirts that he was wearing. Listen to this. He had 90 t-shirts on. Guinness record. of the, of the, And they have some crazy Guinness world records out there. But I saw a picture of this guy, and I couldn't find one to throw one up here on the screen. But just imagine 90 layers of t-shirts. He looked massive. But it's interesting, as he was kind of sharing his experience, he said this, I needed help getting the t-shirts on, but I needed more help in peeling off the layers. You know, a lot of us are running the race with just layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And some of those layers are of our own choosing, but some of the layers, we were helped. You know, it was something in our family, some friends, our work environment, whatever. Some of them are our own choosing, all of them are, but some of them were assisted in that. As much as he needed help peeling off the layers after the race, hey, we need help peeling off the layers during the race. You know, I spoke a minute ago about uh, some people that in my, when I was a teenager, they just, they really helped me just peel away layers of bitterness and resentment. You see, a lot of times it's not, you know, well, I'm, I'm addicted to cocaine or crack or I'm an alcoholic, although that may be true, a lot of times there are things that are so deeply seated in us that we are unable to recognize those things for what they are. And we need people to come around us and help us peel away the layers one by one. But interestingly, in this verse, it says this. It says this in verse 1, laying aside every weight and sin. So there is, there is something different between weight and sin. What I just described to you was sin. What about weight? There's a lot of things in life that aren't necessarily wrong, but the big question is this. Are they helping us win? It's not wrong, but are they helping us win? Um, you know, I, I think of uh, us personally as a family. So as a family, so I've got five kids. And over the last 20 years, we have uh, moved, I don't know, 12 different times, different projects, different places, different cities, uh, in different countries. And one thing that about, I don't know, eight years ago really started nagging at my soul was, you know what, Jonathan, you need to provide a place, a stable place for your family to grow up in. You, you do. We, didn't, we always rented, okay? And so we were living this rental life right? Um, but I had a missionary that was probably in his 40th year, 80 years old, 
come alongside me and he said, Jonathan, I understand your concern for your family. And it's a noble thing to want that for your family. But will it help you win at what God has called you to do? Or will it be a hindrance for you to see 500 churches planted over the next 20 years in a region called the Southern Cone? You see, that's me. Now, is there anything wrong with owning a house and wanting to have your, you know, square acreage where a place where you call home? Nothing wrong with that at all. Is that a sin? It's not a sin. But in my race, the uniqueness of my calling, I had to discern whether that was something that was going to help me win or if it could become something, as the verse says here, that clings close to me. It clings to me. You know something that clings to you? Now, I can't apply this to your, your life, but what has God called you to, and what is clinging to you in such a way that it's not helping you win, and it's certainly not sinful, although it could become? You know what? We're called. We're called to give those things up. So that, that's our effort. That's part of our effort. Well, what's our reward in this? Well, hey, our reward, if we look at this verse 2, it says this, looking to Jesus. Don't look to the things that cling to you. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself in this last part here, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. The idea of weariness is just, listen, I'm burnt out. I've got nothing else to give. I've got nothing else to give. Faint-hearted is a lack of courage to give. So the idea of weary is, hey, I've got nothing to give. Faint-hearted is, I don't even have the courage to even attempt to give. Two different things. Now, the idea here is this. If you're focused in on those sins, if you're focused in on the things that are incumbent to your particular story that aren't helping you win, but they are weighing you down, inevitably, you will succumb to not only stress, burnout, but ultimately lacking all courage. And in the Bible, we call that faith to step out to greater arenas of belief and obedience in your life. Well, how do we do that? Well, it says here, looking unto Jesus. And we're, we're landing the plane here. And if you haven't heard anything here this morning, I want you to hear this. It's not about looking at the crowd it's not about comparing yourself to who else is in the room. It's not about comparing your story or your race to someone else's race. You might have it much better than someone else or much worse. It's not about that. It's ultimately about your relationship with Jesus Christ. To enter the race, you have to look to him for salvation. To complete the race, you have to understand that all things are from him and only accomplished through him, and only if it's to him will he receive glory and honor, the glory and honor he deserves. 
But it's interesting in verse 2 and 3, it says this, looking to Jesus, and then verse 3, it says, consider him. The idea is this, look to Jesus, but look into Jesus. There's a, there's a step beyond. You know, maybe you're here today and you are not, you, you just don't believe in any of this. Well, your first step is to understand that, you know, you're lost and separated from a God that loves you. And it's to understand that this God that loved you, he, he requires holiness, something you can't provide, I can't provide. But what he requires, he provided in his son, Jesus, who came and died for us on the cross, paying the penalty of our sins. We look to him, his sufficiency for our salvation. Now what? Well, we look to him and we go a little deeper in considering who he was. That is the sustaining life of us being able to continue day by day through the mess that is life. And to see at the other end, hey, I've, I have courage and I have strength for one more day. As we kind of close here, I'm going to call the, the worship team up front. Philippians 1.16, and these verses aren't up on, on the screen, say this, being confident of this one thing. You know, I'm, I tell you what, there have been moments in my life where I have not been confident in God. There have been moments in my life where I have been, you know, distrustful of the race that he has placed me on. Is it okay to say that in church? I hope it is. You know, really, is this what God is calling me out to? But Philippians 1.16 says this, being confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Look unto Jesus. We could unpack that a lot, looking unto Jesus, what he went through, what he had to suffer, but look unto him. Dive into who he is. Understand what makes his heart beat, beat for you, and move forward in faith and growing, growing faith in your life. You know, today we're talking about um, the name of the series is Old School, and the hymn is looking unto Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's kind of the, the song that was pushed out there on social media this week, and it's the, the theme of the song here today. And as I dug into the story behind this, I just want to share it with you really quick as we finish up. You know, one of the stanzas is this, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Now listen to this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So this song was written by a woman named Helen Lemmel in 1922, but she based it on the life and a poem written by a lady called Lillian Trotter. So Lillian Trotter was originally from London, and in the late 19th century, she became one of the most famous painters. She was considered to be a future Rembrandt. And people from all over the country were investing financially 
into her development in her career. Yet she became a Christian and she believed God was calling her to use her life in a very specific way, to reach people that were down and out. So she began at night going out and helping prostitutes in the community to come to faith in Christ. Well, she felt God would have her go a step further and give her life to be a missionary. So at the age of 28, she moved to Algeria in Africa and spent 40 years in the desert serving among nationals in that community. People thought she was nuts, as we probably would here today. But she wrote this at the end of her life. Holiness, not safety, is the end of our calling. The race you're on isn't about being safe. It's not about the American dream either. It's not about anything that you may think it is. It's about holiness. And we only find a pathway to holiness through one who is holy, Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. You don't have to do that in your effort because he's done it for you. And he imparts it to you free of charge. All he asks you to do is run to him and throw yourself at him fully. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Allow it to penetrate our hearts. In your name I pray, amen.